Welcome back to the Process Podcast. I am joined this week by my pal, Nate Jackson. We're going to dig into uh, what's going on with him. And then we're going to talk about this question, a statement, really, that Nate made to me a while ago, which was, the internet was a mistake. We're going to figure out if that's right, if it's wrong, how we feel about it. But before we do anything else, I want to know what's been going on. What's a, what's a win or a loss from Woo! your last... Since we last talked on the podcast. Win or a loss. Okay. Let's start with a loss. Okay. Because it leads to wins. Sure. Okay. The loss is I got fired, Paul. Yeah, you did. Uh, yeah, you did. I got fired from my radio gig about a month ago or so. Um, you know, I sort of knew it was coming. There was a job opening on one of the drive time shows. I applied for the job. A bunch of other people did, but then I was getting whispers that... You applied for at the same station. At the same station. Okay. It was just a better show, a longer show. Right. Better money, yeah. actual benefits. It was a full-time gig, whereas I was part-time. I happened to not be working that Monday because uh, I was doing this other event, so I had already asked for it off. But my other two partners did work, and you know, I got a text from my boss that morning saying, we're going to call you at 11, Nate. So I was like, okay, this is... I knew it was happening. So I was done with the event. I got a call on the phone. He put me on speaker and brought the other two dudes into the room after they had just done the show, their last show, and weren't aware of about what was about to happen and pulled them into the office and the HR lady was there and they fired us all at the same time. Wow. So what was the, uh, okay, two things. First is I like a lot that you're just saying you got fired. One of my pet peeves these days is when people are like, there was downsizing. Nah. Yeah. No. When you get fired, you get fired. I got fired, man. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to get in too far into the details because there's some legal issues going on right now, which <laughs> I don't want to really, um, I don't even know if this would matter. But just right. just the point is that like it was a major shakeup, caused a lot of ripples. They brought in a couple of two new guys as well to the station, and, and the four of us are moving on. So um, I would say the loss is getting fired. Mm -hmm. A variety of wins come from that, though. Right. What was Well, that was the other thing I was going to ask. What was your feeling of either relief or shame? What, what came up as that was happening? Um, frustration and disappointment that my hard work wasn't paying off in what I wanted, mm. what I had set as a goal for myself. I want to be in that major sh show. I right. want to have a full-time job. I want better pay. I want to make this a career. You know. Mm. So there was frustration and disappointment that my hard work didn't lead to that because the opportunity was there. There was a job opening. So the fact that none of that came true was incredibly disappointing and frustrating. But at the same time, I've been here for two decades in Denver. I have a lot of connections in the media world that I wasn't able to use working at like 80% of my contacts in here. I haven't been able to really collaborate with or work on anything with because I was at the fan, you know? So now I'm talking to all those people again. Like the moment I got fired, people like who I just thought, I just am not going to see anymore. I don't like them anymore. We're reaching out to me and wanting to talk about this and this idea and that. So the doors that have opened since that one was shut have been pretty, uh, pretty cool. That was not the best adjective. <laughs> That's fine. Um, pretty, pretty exciting to yeah. kind of get back into like a, a more of a collaborative, creative sort of approach to what I'm doing. And um, so I've got some, some different stuff cooking right now that wasn't before. So I think the opportunities that are coming from getting canned mm. are going to be better than the situation I was in. Does this feel like that was always going to be a bit of a dead end and now you're retreating back out of the maze and finding a different path in a way? Yeah, because like, look, we, we moved out here three years ago. I moved, I, I convinced my wife uh, to move out here 
after me having lived here for a long time, moving back to LA and then, you know, running into a few professional roadblocks in LA and then COVID hit and I had this opportunity in radio, but there was always (sighs) frustration that they didn't see more in me than I saw it myself or seeing myself. So it is a sort of like, wow, okay. I was putting my heart into it and I was thinking I was doing good work. I was trying very hard to impress my boss, bosses, but it didn't work. They didn't see me that way. So it's not always a bad thing when you don't impress. That it makes me think a lot of sports, right? It's similar. You have a skill set and you're joining a team of some kind. And if that team doesn't embrace you the way that you feel you should be embraced, it's probably never going to work, right? Like I've seen that in my own life, right? With basketball coaches where you start to feel crazy because you think, I think I'm doing the right things, but it's not paying off where it might in some other situations. Yep. I've, I thought about that a lot in my like brief NBA days around how much better I fit into teams that won because I was not going to be a guy who like changes the fortunes of an NBA team, right? A culture setter. Yeah. I'm not going to be your uh, wa- Kevin like, Garnett, you're right? Like coach prime. <laughs> right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to change things, but, but I can fit in pretty well. Yeah when things function well, right? Like I can, I can be, I can excel in that environment, but I can't rescue an awful situation. I'm just not, I just wasn't good enough. And I think very few of us are in any situation able to pull a company or a team out of the complete doldrums and fix it. Right. Yeah. Agreed. And playing professional sports, the leadership it it behooves you when you're running a, a sports team to be clear and honest about objectives and where everyone stands every day. Are you doing a good job? Are you doing a bad job? We have a standard here. This task I asked you to complete, if you didn't do it up to the standard, I tell you why and how you can improve. If you mm-hmm. did, I tell you, good job, buddy. Uh, keep it up. Right. That didn't exist in my recent job I got fired from. The different people were treated different ways. There was different standards for different people. Mm. There was a lot of like saying one thing, but doing the other. Um, a lot of vague answers to specific questions. And so, yeah, it was, it was um, a stark contrast from the, the leadership lessons I learned under like Mike Shanahan, for example, right. who was running things very efficiently, very directly. The objectives were clear, laid out every morning. You know, there was a lot of check-ins to see what was going on. I mean, sports, you're watching tape of your practice every day and things like that. Whereas my our radio show was never evaluated, never coached. Like, mm. we would have this weekly check-in, but it would get canceled every week, every other week. And then the times when we did wa- have one, we'd walk in and he'd be like, so you guys tell me, what's going on? You know, like, clearly you're not listening to or you don't have any substance to feedback right. for whatever reason. Yeah. Don't know. Maybe you had too much on your plate. So, um, so great lesson. And I feel better off kind of being cut loose. So what will you look for in the next radio gig or yeah. media gig? If we frame it that way, a little more, um, a, a little more of a simpatico sort of existence with a person I'm working with, you know, uh, a little more freedom, uh, maybe some more because I wanted to do stuff digitally. I wanted to write more. I want, and that was all kind of shot down. So I, I want, I want a more of a multimedia approach, more creativity. I mean, you know, the idea of getting back into terrestrial radio versus like something digital or a platform that's online is is something I'm weighing mm-hmm. because like the, the daily radio show, it's kind of you're 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 subject to the parameters of 
the industry and standards and corporate BS and things like that. Whereas some of the folks I'm talking to now and some of the ideas similar to what we're doing here, like a podcast, I could say, fuck, fuckity shit, you know, <laughs> can't do that on the air. Right. Um, and so like, yeah. So I think more freedom mm-hmm. with my creativity, someone mm-hmm. who aligns with my vision a little bit more. Uh, I'll tell you like ever having a radio show every morning at nine on another side of town makes for frantic mornings. Mm. Like every morning is a little bit more stressful than it normally would be. Uh, I'm dropping off my kid at daycare and I'm trying to beat the traffic, to get over there to get on the mic and talk like in this weird environment that was mm. maybe not great anyway. So <clears throat> I understand no employment opportunity is perfect, uh, but I'm, I'm looking to work with more like-minded people who see in me uh, more than my last employer did. Do you think that it requires you staying in Denver? Um, no, not necessarily. Okay. I do have a lot of contacts here and I have the, the, the current, the current I'm, I'm on the wave right now of talking about all the Denver sports and, and the Denver teams. And so I'm in that, you know, bubble. So my expertise belongs here right now, but it's not exclusive necessarily. And I think the more national conversation could be had or you know, maybe we move back to LA. I just got back from LA. That's what I heard. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess that was a win, sort of. I mm-hmm. had a meet. I had a meeting with a uh, Ron Shelton, mm-hmm. who, who wrote and directed some of the most famous sports movies of all time. So that was really cool. How did it go? It went great, man. I mean, he loved my book and came with a notebook and ideas, like chap, like like episode ideas mm. based on like scenes in the book, and they were very. You know, I've talked to a lot of folks about my book. I've had the Hollywood meeting about my book, and none of them are like this because he was an athlete himself. He played a couple sports at Westmont College near Santa Barbara or whatever, and he played AAA baseball. And like he was like, you know, the underdog story of, of sports. So he identified with my book and the off the field stuff, the idiosyncratic moments of camaraderie, the, the, the little, like the first idea that he had in his notebook was, the stolen domino. And that was a scene in the book where I was playing in NFL Europe and um, we were staying at the Relexa Hotel in Dusseldorf and we were on the second floor and there was this common area in, on the second floor. And, you know, a lot of the fellas used to play dominoes in the common area, right? Slapping the bones, slapping them late night, right? And the quarterback, Greg Zolman from Vanderbilt, his room was right next door to the common area. Clap, snick it up. Clap, clap, keeping him up at night, right? Then his girlfriend comes to town, Greg's, and they're laying there and slap, playing dominoes until two in the morning, and they couldn't sleep. She's like, Greg, you have to do something about this. And he's like, what, do you, what am I going to do about it? They're my teammates. You know, I tell them to keep it down, but it is, it is what it is. So the next day when everyone is at practice, Greg's girlfriend goes and steals one domino. Okay? <laughs> so the next night, they go to play their dominoes. They all, you know, wash them up, take their seven, 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 but then there's six. There's a missing domino, right? Mm. So that starts this kind of conspiracy and eventually they get to the bottom of it by checking the videotape and then they see her t- steal it. So they walk up to his door and knock on it. They're like, we know you got it, man. Like you got to give it up, you know, type of thing. But th- that's just like something that like teammates go through. Right. It's not about like who scored the winning touchdown, you know, but there's something that Ron Shelton identified with because that's like the heart of, Right. What it's like to be on a team. Makes me think of when we made The Twelfth Man, which was based on my first book. Uh, one of the ways it went awry was that those are the stories that make me laugh and are interesting to me. The minutia, the way that it's not as glamorous as 
what people think that these are the things that concern you. Right. And one of the reasons our show went badly was because all these executives got involved and they didn't see that humor, the irony in it. They wanted to make a show about how awesome it was to play professional sports. And you're like, that's not really much of a show. Yep. Like there's not really right. a conflict here. Yeah. So, that so you're saying it's really, really a loss is what I just <laughs> that went was, through. That was a, a big loss. So, yeah. uh, we've been emailing since, and he basically said that like the reason why he identified with those things is because he was a player himself and he's been through that stuff and he's always made movies from the perspective of the person doing it. But all the execs are making movies from this perspective of the spectator. Right. And that's right. the difference. And so he's like, that's, it's like going to be a hail Mary type of thing to get this type of thing done. Mm-hmm. But some hail Marys are designed better than others. And so we need to figure out how to design this hail Mary. Like he right. understands the, the roadblocks. Like during this meeting, he's talking about how he's, you know, there's 35 year old executives that he's pitching these ideas to. And he's mm-hmm. like, here, let me tell you about the Vietnam war. You know, like they don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And so there's a definite, a definite, huge chasm chasm or chasm i think chasm yeah chasm. chasm chasm between this new the old guard hollywood filmmaker dudes who like have americana like just baked into their dna versus these this new guard like internet age millennial like mm-hmm. approach to streaming and profit and monetizing and sh- shit like that so uh um, well so so in that case it was a win that yes. this meeting happened. Yes. For sure. Yes. Now it's just a matter of having patience. And- right. It, it, despite the, what, what we just explained as a roadblock, his optimism also is based on the fact that every one of these companies now has a sports division. They're looking for unique, original sports stories. And how many times are you going to hear like the superstar sports story? That's like, that's not original. Right. Or it's old quick. You know? Yeah. And so maybe there is room for, for example, to to re- rejuvenate your old book and get that mm-hmm. made, you know, get the twelfth man put back on the. Nah, no. I'll leave that to you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave that disappointment. Yeah, you can have that you. disappointment. Yes. Uh, there is plenty of money floating around. I saw uh, something today about how Roger Goodell is going to end up on his new contract with career earnings of like seven hundred million dollars. It's about right. I mean, he's overseeing a quite a quite a growth period. Right. So I mean, what I mean is that the NFL is just like, it has just done so well. There's just so it's much approaching interest. a $20 billion a year. I think maybe right. more. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to keep going up and up and up. We've talked about, we used to talk about on my old radio show that, uh, Back in the glory days that, um, the NFL's aspirations are to create a, an entire division in Europe. Um, so that there'll be like 40 teams and it'll be an international league. If you mm. add another eight teams and put it in another, on another continent, imagine, mm-hmm. You know how much your revenue stream is going to grow. A lot of Roger Goodell's annual salaries incentive based, like his base salary is like you know eight million or whatever. But then he'll get an extra fifty million based on all these mm-hmm. escalators and. That it'll uh, it'll go well until the gambling scandal. No, that yeah. won't stop it. It will. No, it won't. Yeah. It yes, will. It will. Ne- no, you cannot stop it. It's yes, you. Can. Of course, you how, can. How? How? What do you mean? There Wait, will be Roger Goodell is the one fixing the games. There the will be, way. there will be a, because of the ease. I mean, we'll talk about it more later about the internet, right? right but right, like right. the ease with which people can gamble is a recipe for disaster, especially for the NFL. It will there. It will unravel at some point in Let's the see. next 20 years. I don't know. I don't know yeah. why, but like, it's just, you're talking about like too many 
conflicting, uh, what's the right word? Reward systems. It's just, well, it, so they're, so they're heavily trying to crack down on any player involvement in that sure. and, uh, monitoring your phone usage, for example, at the mm. facility, if you gamble on any of these, wi- uh, uh, websites, uh, on their Wi-Fi, they get your IP address. They bust you for that. These oh, guys, yeah. Are, yeah, these guys are getting busted already for that. Right. So if, if a referee were to fix a game mm-hmm. or a starting quarterback or something like that, yeah, I mean, but uh, it's a scandal. But this, so, uh, uh, heretofore, these scandals have only made this product bigger. What? Uh, okay, let's check in with you. Scale of one to five. How's your sleep been recently? You know, it's it's gotten better. Okay. Better than it uh, was when my son was like one and, you know, two. He's three now. He sleeps better. Uh, I sleep better. I think I'm less stressed and like just like mm-hmm. than I used to be. Um, so yeah, I'm sleeping okay. Give me a, a number one seven. To five. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. You're you're sleeping so well. I was gonna say how many hours a night I sleep. I sleep about seven hours. Okay, but scale of one to five. Yeah, I'll say four. I'll okay, say four. A four. Yeah. How's your diet right now? Diet is like probably a three. It ain't bad, but it ain't great. You okay, know, I still, I, like I ate a donut today. You're allowed. You're allowed yeah. to down it once in a while. Yeah, I was, I was reading because I've I've dealt with uh, like uh, acid reflux and you know GERD. What's and GERD? It's um acid reflux. Oh, just a more kind of complicated name for it. Um, it's uh, it is to uh, acid reflux as contusion is to bruise. I think so. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. Um. But um. But I was reading this thing like you know eating at night horrible for it you know sugar of course and like all that stuff but eat, eat your big meals in the beginning of the day. Right. And then kind of eat a smaller dinner and don't eat at night. And then you should be better. Breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, dinner like a pauper. Yeah. Which has a lot of value. I also, I've been thinking a lot about not drinking water Mm. before I go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then you don't have to get up to pee. Yeah. So you sleep better. And it's crazy how effective that is. It's so stupid and simple. Cause you try to like, oh, I haven't drank water. I got to hydrate at nine, you know? And then it's like, you go to bed and you're like, wait a second. Now I got to piss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to drink water throughout the day. Right. My son's the same way. I mean, um, he gets thirsty at night and then he drinks it and then he pees himself in bed. He's like, <laughs> he comes into our room. I'm like, I pee myself. I was like, oh gosh, in the middle of the night, you got to go strip him down. And right. uh, we just ran out of diapers. He doesn't wear diapers during the day. He wears them to sleep. Huh. Um, just so in case he has an accident like that. But when he drinks water, and in the last couple of days, we've been going without the diapers just because we ran out of them and mm-hmm. we've forgotten to pick them up. Uh, but he's been in, like handling the night without them. So it's like, oh, maybe he's ready for it. Well, last night he peed himself and huh. jumped in bed this morning. And, you know, but it's, it's this is weird thing. Like when it's your kid's pee, it's okay, like it's okay to get on you. Like with your yeah, kids, like sure. with your kids poop right. or whatever. It just doesn't smell as bad. It's just, it's just weird. Hmm. Yeah. You'll uh, maybe be interested to know that my brother, Matt, just his wife just had a baby two oh. days ago. Congrats, in Matt. San Francisco. Cool. Yeah. So they're going through exactly all those things their that first, you've already been child. through. Yeah. First yeah. child and also first child of this generation of wow. my family. Right? Oh, wow. So like, yeah, oh. my first nephew. Okay, cool. Look at you, Uncle. Look at me, Uncle Paul. Uncle Peacher. <laughs> Uncle Peacher's Corner. All right, so diet's a three. What about your workout routine currently? Not good, man. I'm, I actually just got back into it. I worked out a couple the last two days, mm-hmm. but prior to that, I took like two months off. Like I hadn't oh, really done shit, man. Ever since like, it was a rough summer. My dad died. Right. Um. We had a service with just the family. And then a couple months later, we had like the big thing with all mm. his colleagues and stuff. And, and that was in early August. And ever since then, man, I just was like, I haven't had any motivation, man. I guess mm. that's 
depression. Uh, but <laughs> Hello, I, depression. But I just, I hadn't wanted to go to the gym and just hadn't wanted to. I was just like, so I didn't. So I say with the, the, the workout routine is pretty low right now. One. Like one. Yeah. All right. What about your overall ability to focus? Yeah, that's pretty high right now. I think it's because I got fired, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it just kind of rejuvenates you. It's like a good motivator, well, indeed. It's just like yeah. everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden, boom, like all this thing that I was working for and thinking that I was like making the right impression on and steering towards this moment. It was like, nope, you're going the other way. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, motherfucker, you know? Okay, I, I have yeah. to pivot and I have to work on some other stuff and move in different directions. And so I think that's stimulated my brain quite a bit. Yeah. Which I think is as difficult as it is to go through for you or for anyone. It's interesting how many people I meet who were forced in their lives to zig and zag and how much more interesting they are because of that and how much longer and richer their lives are because of these things, because you could have ended up, there's a world where you ended up in a somewhat destructive and dysfunctional culture for the yeah. next 10 years yeah. without really realizing it, it would have been a slow kind of boiling of the frog. Yeah. Probably not like probably something would have gone wrong, but in a lot of ways, this is the best thing that could happen. Right? Agreed. Yeah. And it will, it, like you're saying, it turns on your brain and, and then it kicks in this. I don't know. There's like a brightness to the world when you go through these things, just like you said, if you get hit in the head, there's this moment of like jarring where you suddenly the colors are, writer and you're have a concussion but (laughs) (laughs) yeah i do feel like more like myself in a way because like yeah because like i feel now i can pursue my interests have the discussions i want you know talk to the people i'm interested in talking with and create like the kind of plan that works with me and um so so, some other wins like i wrote an article that got published like i you know did a tv appearance that went well i'm like meeting with some other folks in town. I did a couple of days on a different radio station that went well. So all these little things that I'm doing, I wouldn't have been doing before. Mm-hmm. So no, I feel uh, rejuvenated. So focus is a, I'll call it a five man. Five on the focus. All right. So we got a four on the sleep, three on the diet, one on the workout. Last one connection to your long-term values. Yeah. We'll call that a four. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like, well, has the firing, meant that you now are more connected to yeah. them because you're like aware more yeah. of what you care about yeah because before the firing well the job that i had was the reason why i brought my wife and son out here it was like mm. let's take a chance and move to denver and get into radio you know there's this opportunity honey like let's do it you know and so in a way i was like hitched to this idea as the thing that brought us here and the thing that i gotta make work you mm-hmm. know it's like this is why i brought you out here honey like i'm gonna make this work i'm gonna get the promotion i'm gonna have my own show it's gonna be great i'm gonna get benefits honey just like i'm working hard you know like and then the fact that it didn't work um and my wife's not like mad. she's she's like so totally stoked because she knows that you know it wasn't the right situation for me either so she's in my corner in what I'm pursuing, which is really important and to have that support at home and not someone's like, you failed, you know, you brought me out here like for what? Yeah, that could go poorly. That yeah. would be, that's how an alcoholic gets built. Right. 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 Like b- the dude who just goes down to the saloon every yeah. night. Yeah. And so that's not me. I- yeah. I'm not going to have to do that because I have a really supportive, awesome wife who's down for what I, I can do and mm. wants to see me blossom and knew that I was a little bit stifled there. So. Um, so I think the connection to long-term values is, is strong. Cool. What's the, what's the thing before we talk about the internet being a mistake or not? 
what's the thing you want to change that's going to get you like a 10% improvement before the next time you're on this here podcast? Yeah, I would say uh, my workouts. Okay. You know, I'm going to continue to get back on the back on the saddle exercise wise. Well, I, and that's something that you may be able to help me with. I, I'm at probably a three right now with workout routine, but like you, I just like the motivation is so hard to come by because it just does. It just seems stupid. <laughs> what seems stupid about it? Well, in the olden days when we were training, it was as part of our job, right? There was a sense that I need to do this so that I can go out on the court and best another human. Right. But now it seems like I'm just sort of staving off decline, which Isn't doesn't. That, well, that itself is its own sort of motivation, unless you're. It certainly is, but it just in, doesn't. Unless you're interested in staving on your. Unless decline. you're declining, is <laughs> interesting to you. But I'll, I'll tell you this, Paul. I mean, you, right before the podcast started, you talked about how tired you are. Oh, I've been here all day, dude. Oh, I've been here since early this morning. Well, if you work out, did I say more, it with a with a, a sort of leprechaun's accent? <laughs> no, you said it just as P. Share. Yeah, would say it. Um, but that might give you more energy throughout the day. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, <laughs> but I don't want it. Actually. No, but I mean, I do. That's the thing. I am working out. Where do you I, work out? I work out at the gym, uh, in my building. Maybe you need to get a membership to a different gym. Yeah. I think that you might be right. You know, and somewhere that where the, the visual stimulation, the scenery will improve. Right. It is know? true that one of the things I have always liked about working out is the camaraderie of it. Just like being around other people. Yeah. Um, I think it's really hard when you're just forcing yourself to do it all yeah. the time. Yeah. So you're right. I need Maybe to join a freaking men's league basketball team, man. <laughs> get back on, get back on the court. Tomorrow Put I'm going to some use tomorrow. I'm going to physical therapy, which is an, a long running, a long standing appointment to repair all of the damage I did during my basketball career. So okay. absolutely not. <laughs> Where are you hurting? Um, I generally hurt in my midsection. Hmm. Um, Your stomach. Well, it's more like core back related to my kidney spleen rupture. Okay. Where like I didn't move that part of my body for about 20 years and we're figuring out that that has had some yeah. implications. Well, I think some like some Pilates would be really good for you. Totally. Just strengthen that core. I mean, you know, well, you might be right. Cause I was doing Pilates for a while. What I like about Pilates is somebody else is talking you through it. Yeah. And so you're not having to generate the motivation all the time. Yeah. In addition to that, I mean, if you have issues in that area. Yeah. That's the area you have to target. Right. That's where you have to strengthen. Mm -hmm. A guy as tall as you, man, like your, you know, your back could be problematic. And the stronger you make your core, the the more the, the better you'll feel on a daily basis, especially when a you know you're standing up all day. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I would say work that core, whether it's just in Pilates or doing it yourself. I can teach you some core exercises. Ooh. This is something I learned as I was leaving the NFL, that a lot of the issues I was having in my lower back and my hamstring were all related to a weak core. Mm -hmm. And once I really started focusing on that core and it took me uh, meeting a, a specific trainer who focused on that, to, you start in the middle and then you work your way out. You don't start on your, on your biceps and your calves. Right. You start right in the middle on your belly button and work your way out. And um, if you do that, man, a lot of your injuries and aches and pains and general fatigue will go away. Totally. I mean, that's, that's what I spend. So I, I, walk down to the gym every morning and do all of these like exercises that are sort of yoga Pilates related. Mm -hmm. One thing that, and this is probably pretty boring to the audience. So you guys can just check out for like two minutes while I talk <laughs> about this, but I've noticed that when I actually do certain things with correct form, I'm so I can lift so much less than okay. I thought because we or I spent so much of my life just heaving on things and yeah. not like paying attention to like, 
okay, am I actually using my shoulders or am I just doing everything from down here? Right. right? And it turns out I wasn't doing it very correctly for well, a long time. Basketball players don't know how to lift weights typically. Like no. you're kind of like, yeah, just like, oh, it's weight room time. And so you guys like grab yeah. some, some bars it's, and you're like, Whoa. well, what, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about like, we're just like prancing around, which is yeah. kind of true. We're just, just like, like yeah, you know, using your back to do curls and right. like things like that. Well, part of it was they didn't, they also didn't talk to us about the value of compound movements. They had us doing really stupid lifts, just doing bench press or doing squats. Whereas in basketball, just like in football, so much of strength has to do with leverage and the way you're around and all this other stuff. Yeah. So what, what example are you giving as to a more effective lift that you should have been doing? Um, so an example would be, have you ever done like a, uh, like a, a transverse snatch with a kettlebell? For transverse example? snatch. <laughs> That'd be like, if you took your, put your, a kettlebell in your right hand, yeah. put it down by your left no, foot I've, I've done similar stuff and pulled yeah. across, yeah. right. Where you're having to like extend your body. That's sort building multi-plane multi-planer. Exactly. Yeah. So stuff. you're like, you're, that's more like a basketball movement where right. you might have to hold someone off with your left hand, catch the ball okay. out here, yeah. then spin yeah. to the basket. Whereas there's not a lot of this in right. basketball. Right. But right. we did a lot of that. And by this for the yeah. listener, what I'm doing is a lot of this. pushing with my arms, which doesn't come off in an oral form very well. Well, in football, there's so many, injuries specifically because the way you train is not the way you play I'm you sure. train on these single plane mm-hmm. movements that are straight and to- and people at the gym do it too it is hard to do what you're describing at the gym you know this multi-plane stuff but if you're going to do actual sports where you're reacting to a ball and movement that you can't prepare for mm-hmm. then the single plane training sets you up to get injured right you know you have to be able to go back and forth the proprioception in mm-hmm. your joints and, and, and ligaments and muscles and things like that. This is something when I was training after some surgeries, I found a great trainer. Also, he talked about how there used to be a school of thought around the way you trained athletes that you didn't want to get them outside of the normal bounds of movement. Yeah. So you would teach people to try to stay out of those spots, but it turns out that's impossible, right? Like, especially when your adrenaline's going yeah. and you get cranked up and you're like, now suddenly I'm in a position that I could never have simulated in a gym. So there has been this, thankfully, movement towards getting people in these compromised situations and teaching them how to deal with it, which I think matters a lot. Challenging the range of motion Mm -hmm. in ways, yeah, that'll that'll pop up in competition. Patrick Mahomes, quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, (laughs) you'll see him doing all these weird throws and warm-ups and like doing these weird stuff. Like, because eventually in a game, you might have to do these weird throws Mm -hmm. and it won't be the first time you did it. It right. won't be the first time your arm was at that angle, yeah. you know? And so, yeah, um, football players will train for the combine when they're coming out of college. And it's like, how many times can you bench press this weight? How many, mm-hmm. how high can you jump straight up in the air? How far right. can you run straight and do all these things and on these straight single planes and they look like freaks at the combine and they test out of the world and they, you know, get drafted in the top 10 and then they suck yeah. on the football. They're field. like, Oh, we forgot. He can't actually see the ball. Yeah, and they get so focused on the measurables that it's the intangibles, right, that really make athletes special. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, we'll save continued discussion of professional sports for another time. Okay, so you're going to work out, but what does that mean? Yeah, just more often. uh, (laughs) Okay, good, good. uh, More often. um, But what's going to be the thing that drives you? What's going to be your motivation to actually do it? Just just feeling stronger, looking better. 
better, with my bigger muscles and things like that. Vanity like, is a great motivator. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So let's use that vanity um, as motivator. And just like the, you know, I feel less fatigued. Like I was telling you before. Yeah. Less tired throughout the day, less sore, general like stiffness when I'm exercising. Right. You know, so I don't, I want to feel better. I just want to feel more energy and feel happier. That's it. And I think that that helps me. All right. We're going to stick with vanity as motivation. I like that. Okay. Let's get into this. Your statement of the other day that the internet was a mistake. I looked up a few, uh, a few numbers uh, regarding what's going on with internet usage. So here's a quote from, this is a digital overview report on datareportal.com, but it seemed pretty legit to me. Added together, the world's social media users will spend a total of 3.7 trillion hours on social media in 2021. So this is a couple of years ago, equivalent to more than 420 million years of combined human existence. Another quote, mobiles, mobile devices now account for a greater amount of people's time than live TV. This is the case even in the United States where the average American now spends more than four hours per day using their phone compared to roughly three and three quarter hours each day watching live television. Oh boy. So that would be where we are with usage. What, uh, what do you see as a, especially as a father thinking about the internet's impact on your kid and maybe the impact it's had on your life as someone who's of a similar age to me, which is we can remember a time before the internet and we have seen its effect on people. Yeah. This is a complicated conversation because we are a slave to our own perspectives here, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, I'm not 15, you know, I'm not 21. I'm 44 years old. So I grew up without the internet around. I grew up without a cell phone. I had a pager my senior year. Oh, did you? That's pretty badass. Yeah. Um, Cool, cool guy. Yeah. Um, And I got a a first cell phone at like 21, you know, and didn't even really start like using the internet until college, sort of. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so of course I think it's better to grow up without that stuff. But then, but then. But then I see with my own eyes and I trust my powers of discernment and uh, rationale. And I see that the kids were better off then. Like you go to the restaurant now and like every, you know, some kids have to have a device just to sit still for an hour and eat. You know what I mean? I think that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, teen suicide and all the, you know, body image issues. That's a huge problem. Kids attention span. That's a huge problem. Misinformation. Huge problem. Kids getting sexualized at a young age because they have access to pornography at the age of eight. That's a huge problem. Uh, predators and people with nefarious intent being able to come into your son or daughter's bedroom via these applications. That's a huge problem. You wouldn't go take your drop your son off at a freaking uh, at a at a whorehouse. Why would you let it into his room? Mm-hmm. Because he does have access to that stuff. Um, any technology, in my mind, that makes people seem more racist than they actually are. Isn't good. It's not good for people. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're as racist as the internet makes us seem. Mm-hmm. I personally don't think we are. But the internet forces you to choose one side or another, splits you up in camps. Well, okay, that's I. I'm picking up what you're putting down, but I do think there is a a point to be made here, or a clarification around: is that the internet or is that social media? Um. Okay. So. Yeah, I can see a separation there. Mm-hmm. Um. I can see a, a a world in which the internet without social media is an effective information tool. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a tool that we're not using correctly, right? We're trying to socialize with something that doesn't have the power to socialize and actually pulls us in the opposite direction. 
um, lonely people reaching out for companionship on the internet are probably only going to get lonelier. Mm -hmm. Um, that said, is there a world in which medical information shared on the internet is effective for certain situations like high speed information? Yes. Um, how do you police it? Like, how do you legislate it? How do you, I'm sure there's a way Mm -hmm. there's a way don't let kids on social media. I think that's a good thing. But then, but the internet, like pornography is not on social media. No, you type in like, maybe you're looking up the, you want a soccer ball and you put ball. Okay. And you're seven. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see soccer balls. Right. You're going to see different kinds of balls. And uh, that has nothing to do with social media. Right. The, the regulation, it's just, you cannot trust the information you receive on the internet. And so there has to be a better, if, if the internet is to sustain itself, which I actually don't believe it will. Mm-hmm. I think the internet will collapse. I think it's anti-evolutionary. I think mm. anything that pulls us towards, you know, they say something like the arc of justice bends towards something. Or the other. arc of time bends towards justice. Yes. Is that the, the M- is, MLK is, quote? Right. Yeah. The internet is, is trying to bend to, to unbend that arc. Right. And that is to me, anti-evolutionary. Like our, our world is kind of like coming to it's, 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 it's evolving into a more tolerant, more, more sort of diverse, more ethnically mixed world. Mm-hmm. And the internet in my opinion, seeks to, to stop that. And you can't stop that. So it, to, to me, the internet is not going to last. It's all, there's also an infrastructure requirement to allow the internet to exist as, as it is now with all these servers and people making new mm-hmm. parts and all this crap. Like there's a fine, there has to be a finite point with that as well. Yeah. Seeing the way our kids are being developed on this technology you cannot look at the kids and be like oh yeah they're this is great for them right it's not well the, the problem is it's also a pacifier for the adults who don't want to spend the time with a kid mm-hmm. who want a moment and i understand getting home man like how are you gonna make dinner how are you gonna do all this stuff with your kid like nah, 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 nah. okay turn on a cartoon have the kids shut up now that's not the internet for us that's just the tv you put on a cartoon you can watch an hour of cartoons at night is that the worst thing in the world? Some folks will say, yeah, you're poisoning your child. But other folks will sit them in front of an iPad when they get home. They're on it for five hours before they go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. You can't put the toothpaste back in the, in the tube. You, in a way, you can't. But I, I think I have some optimism. There's a, a few things that stood out about what you said. One is we, as men who are aging into middle age, let's say, are prone to apologizing for saying things like it used to be this way and that was better. Right. One thing I would mention though, is I can look back at our childhoods and understand that the breakfasts that we were raised on thinking were normal. were not good. What? Like thinking frosted Frosted flakes flakes (laughs) was a good idea. So I can also recognize that something that Mm. seemed futuristic was also bad. And now we understand that was stupid. Like what were we doing? So it's, it's also, I think we are capable of looking back and recognizing whether things were pro-social or anti-social. So something like us being raised on breakfast cereals, probably not great. Right. Right. So there, I, th- I would say we're pretty discerning about what was good and bad. And this isn't just things were better yeah. in my time. Right. I, I guess what I'm saying, and I agree with you. I, I don't really think that I am not like when I, when I think about the way I look at this, I was more referring to the way I'm judged for my opinion. Totally. That's what I mean. My yeah. opinion itself. I actually believe that my opinion is valid and I am right. noticing these things. We're also, you and I are also not that old. No. So like, we're not we're 70 years old. And I think that the, 
interesting thing about our experience is exactly what you said, this idea that we lived without it and then we lived with it. And I will say that for me, I loved the internet at first, especially like when I got out of college and I was living overseas and now I had access to emails where I could be in touch with people. It was pre-social media for the most part, but I was reading blogs. I was discovering music. I, I loved it. So it's actually been a fair bit of, um, sadness. There's been a bit, a bit of sadness watching it kind of devolve into this thing that I don't think is really making my life better because I, I loved going on ESPN.com and like going into rabbit holes and learning about different sports teams that I never would have known about when I was in Athens, Greece. Otherwise, the other thing I wanted to mention was it does feel to me, you mentioned like the amount of information, the amount of awful information, even pornography as an example. I have been such a stalwart and strong supporter of a kind of completely free libertarian internet, but it seems like where we're headed is toward the same kind of regulation that governs TV and radio, where even though that's hard to see because we saw the free internet, not free in the sense of not costing anything, but more like a free for all kind of wild west. That was so fun because people are popping up and writing blogs. You and I were writing stuff on the internet and it, found an audience and then we found all these people, but it seems like we're going to have to get to a point where it is regulated like TV or the movies or radio. And that kind of makes me sad, but I think it's just the natural way of things and that that will happen mostly because of a cultural shift where people just wake up and say like, this isn't good for us. Yeah. And then it won't be fun that the government steps in and regulates it, but that is just the way it goes. Does that sound right? Yeah. It does need some regulation. I know there's some legislation that's been proposed in different states banning um, social media for minors, mm-hmm. like at all, you know. Uh, and I think that's wise. Maybe it's 16 years old or something like that. Like we got to protect the kids, man. Like right. our whole society is set up to protect kids and mm-hmm. to let kids have this innocent childhood. That's what. That's why we work so hard at our real world jobs and have schools where you know they don't have to have the responsibilities that we have as adults to 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 expose them to these adult problems adult themes adult like situations when they're kids and they're supposed to be in these insulated bubbles where we value keeping them mm-hmm. that's why we have schools the way we do right we that's why we don't tell them about the fucking problems we had at work with our boss you know what i mean like mm-hmm. we don't saddle our kids with that or at least I don't, and and I wasn't saddled with that as as a kid. I don't remember my parents ever, you know, complaining about their work at the dinner table. It was always about us, man. Mm-hmm. It was always about protecting our innocence, our experiences as children, allowing us to be kids. Mm-hmm. And our kids are not allowed to be kids anymore because of what they're being exposed to and have to see. And I just wonder when we're going to value that because I think that is part of what's best about America is that our children are allowed to live these sort of, um pure innocent lives for as long as you know until they start hitting puberty and wanting to do those things right but seven eight nine-year-olds don't need to be exposed to this crap and our lawmakers are eventually going to take this seriously our parents are going to eventually take this seriously and do something about it right and what i would the, the pivot or the modification i would make to that is waiting until lawmakers do something about it will always go awry it's much more effective to have it be bottom up where people just start to decide as a group. Yeah. Like in a, like we were talking about before you got here, me being down at this deli, watching people walk around staring at their phones, running into people. Right. 
at some point saying like, Hey dipshit, like get out of, like get out of my way. Yeah. Like, like pay attention yeah. to the world around you. Um, I think we have to bring some of that back a okay. little bit of the shaming around, like be a person when I'm in the elevator with you, maybe look up and just like yeah. nod, wave, whatever, because yeah. that's what makes humanity humanity. Right. And I, I do a little bit of that and I feel, I feel comfortable doing that. Like mm-hmm. if someone, if I'm in driving my car and I pull up to a crosswalk and someone's walking across the street, staring at their phone the whole way right. and didn't even watch me. And I'm the one who had to stop as they, yeah, I let them know. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, maybe don't look at your phone when you're crossing the street. Maybe that's a bad time for that. Right. But I do like to shame people for that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we need more support for people to sh- like, cause there's, cause the shamers, Versus the shame, Ease. shamed. Yeah, the ratio is really off right now. Nobody right. is holding people to account for this stuff. Yeah, because our etiquette from from person to person is is gone in this country. We don't respect the stranger next to us. Mm-hmm. We don't respect the fellow citizen who we don't know personally. Right. It's like you're not in my bubble. You're not on my phone. Like I didn't text you. Like why the fuck do I care about you? Well, that's a that's a an indicator of a degrading society. Mm-hmm. when the, the the fellow citizen holds no value to you right right so where's your respect level like you said like, like respect the moment like you know we're here together like go like at least make eye contact mm-hmm. i mean even like you know um a transaction at, at somewhere where the person never even looks at you in the eyes yeah oh that makes me want to kill someone when yeah. i see a barista having to deal with somebody who is on the phone talking to them yeah while they're trying to make an order and you're like I, this person, this is not a robot across from you. Have yeah. some decency. Yeah. You, know? you have a soft spot in your heart for the trials and tribulations of the barista. <laughs> do I? It's yeah, clear. Oh, yeah. it is. Nobody goes to bat for baristas like you, Paul. Okay. Thank you. I think that's, it's funny when people talk about like whether they've worked in the service industry or not, it feels like working here and at writer's block in LA is a lot like being in the service industry because you're always paying attention to like how people treat you behind a desk or something. So I am pretty aware of just what people are going through at that counter. Yeah. And also how happy they are. If you just treat them like a person. Yeah. Have you ever asked out a barista? Oh yeah, of course. Have you, have you had a good day? Um, few. Yeah. You, um, have I asked out a barista? I don't think I have. No, ever, ever. No, oh, I've had like, like you know, friendships and things like that. But yeah, I, yeah. I don't think I've ever asked one out. Mm. I spend a lot of time in coffee shops, so it's like my social group. And a lot. What's your number one spot right now? Uh, milk and honey. Milk and honey. Yeah. Where is it? Uh, up on um, Blake or Platt. Oh, remember. We'll we'll discuss. Okay. It's great. It's very calming inside. Okay. So to wrap up, here's what I want to know. What are you going to do yourself to combat the internet's tentacles spreading into your own life? Um, like what's a change you'd like to make? Yeah. Well, I've already sort of kind of started make them. So I feel Mm. like, you know, I'm not perfect at all, but haven't been watching any pornography. So that's actually well done. Yeah. Uh, that matters, man. I mean, it does. I mean, you know how gross you feel immediately following that's a, that's when the a, laptop closes. That's a great. There's an old uh, Russell Brand quote where he's like, "I'm not totally sure what the science is, but I know for myself that as soon as I get done, I don't feel good about myself." Yeah, yeah. Which is a pretty good indicator. Yeah, that it's not great. Yeah, and you know, you're eight, I'm 44. Like, if I start my day like that, the day mm-hmm. is ruined. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so, um, I just I feel as if 
that I, that part is good. I, I don't, I'm not active on social media. Um, not really doing that, which feels good. Um, I really just use the internet for email and like sports information and stuff mm-hmm. like that, or to look up how to change a, a domed ceiling light or something like that, which I was doing today. Um, uh, pretty simple. I probably didn't have to look okay. it up, yeah. but, uh, just the wires and the pulling stuff out. But, um, yeah, so I think, um, I'm on course with that, but I just have to be diligent with it and not, you know, um, get weak when it comes to the pornography or, mm-hmm feeling like i'm missing out on stuff and like social media but i am so disgusted by social media anyway i never feel like oh i gotta do more of it i'm like i don't like doing any of it Mm -hmm. you know so i feel pretty disconnected from the internet actually okay but i gotta instill that with my son because and and my wife 10 years younger than me feels a little bit differently about it you know like her at the end of the day her like she just kind of scrolls stuff and that's how she relaxes you know mm-hmm. and so maybe uh the way i can combat this is to get my wife to see things the way i do <laughs> well what could you put in place for her nothing <laughs> i mean it's like i'm not gonna get her to change her behavior with that like we've right. talked to she knows where i stand i know where she stands mm-hmm. it's not just about the internet it's like we grew up in in different generations and so we see things differently and like mm-hmm. you know we come to meet in the middle and um, you didn't really grow up in different generations by the way i am gen x and she's a millennial but i'm generations are every 20 years so your face is every 20 years right? <laughs> but i do think it's interesting how um generations have gotten compressed because of the speed of innovation mm. so it seems like Somebody who's ten years younger than you is twenty years younger, right? Because of the amount of of change that's happened in that time. Yeah, and we have nothing in common, like as far as like a pop culture experiential mm-hmm. realm with those who are ten years older or ten years younger, because of how quickly it changes. Like, right. imagine like five hundred years ago, mm-hmm. the songs you were singing at ten are the songs you were singing at thirty are the well, song the only songs, right? Right. Like it's just the same stuff, like yeah, the plays yeah. that they have and like the things you go do, it's all the same crap. Mm-hmm. It's the same house. It's the same family. It's the same shit. So everyone's like, has the same frame of reference for every single moment in their lives. Right. Right. But now everything changes so fast. You're right. You feel disconnected from your own childhood or in a way that's, I think, pretty fascinating, very sad in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Cause, but also like makes things like the deaf leopard you know, 2023 tour actually matter because like mm-hmm. that's my childhood or whatever. I can reconnect with that. So these bands that were like popular back in the eighties and nineties can still be playing now because mm-hmm. they have like a fan base of 10 to 20 million people who still fucking love that shit. Right. And you could make the case that that's why that has continued to be a trend was that we seek that on a basal level. We want some continuity. Yes. Right. That, that, we are in a way aching for those versions of old folk songs. Would it be better to just stop making new music now? Like ever tell all the musicians, well, I mean, I think and that's, then just start playing all the old stuff. It's one of the things I think about because I am such a, a connoisseur, a, a consumer of music. When a lot of times here at the process, I will play a session ending song by an artist whose birthday it is just to keep me from having to think every day of like a new song to play. Right. And it's, it's kind of fascinating to me how, if I play a song from 1973, it's pretty clear that that was recorded in 1973. But if I play something from 20 years ago, it could have been recorded today because it 
music hasn't changed that much. It's fragmented. There's all sorts of subgenres now, but there's not a clear, oh, that's like, I can say that sounds like it was from the seventies. That's from the eighties. That's from the nineties. But then it starts to get real feathery and weird. Well, once it was made digitally, right? Right. All kind of like the production, it's all the same, I guess. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts on Nickelback? Band. I love Nickelback. You do? Always have. Really? Yeah. I bought their album, The State, when I was in at Iowa State, and they were on rock radio. It was before anybody knew anything about them. And I was like, this is good, straight ahead rock and roll music, right? So I've always, I've actually wrote a piece for ESPN defending Nickelback, like in 2010, oh. that got me a lot of pushback. Oh, is that right? I mean, they're so, like- So what is the criticism? Is, is it is it- Warranted the, the, the kind of the satirization of Nickelback? It's partially because they're Canadian, so they're easy to make fun of. Okay. Um, I think the dude, the lead singer, um, had pretty mediocre hair that hurt their chances. <laughs> but it's always been fascinating to me because when you put on Nickelback, it sounds exactly the same as Foo Fighters or Cheap Trick or ACDC or what, like it's all just straight ahead rock are and roll. A little less than ACDC? Yeah. ACDC's lyrics are the same repeated phrases over well, I know, and but over. The phrasing is different. Like the Nickelback Every, is like, I don't know. It's just like dudes hanging out after school type of thing. As opposed to ACDC, if you don't don't try to die on the ACDC lyrical hill okay. because they put together like four phrases per song and that's it. Okay. What about Creed? Uh, have you seen, there's a lot of memes roaming around about Creed these days. No, what's going on? A lot of people talking about, cause like they're having kind of like semi ironic resurgence. Cause people are like, that music was fun and awesome. With arms wide open. Pretty good. That's pretty good. How do you feel? How do you feel about Creed? Uh, I like, I like Creed more really? than I like Nickelback. Okay. Uh, I was listening to a Creed song on the way here. It was on the radio. Oh. And got me thinking about Nickelback because I had, would have this discussion with some folks on the air about Nickelback and mm. whether you know I uh, I always made fun of Nickelback. I don't, but I know the Nickelback songs, right? You know, so I so how bad are they? Yeah. Um. But uh, well, was, made it as a wise man, they, cut it as a poor man. I think it's, it's fascinating because they're. Um, I mean, like, what's more lampoonable, Nickelback or the Foo Fighters? I don't know. It's Nickelback. But why? Because the Foo Fighters have made a lot more music. Um, no, they haven't. Yes, they have. No, no They're still chance. going. Nickelback's not still doing yes, anything. Yes, they yet. are. They When's just the put out an album this it, year. You're like, I have it. That I have. <laughs> of course, sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. I've, I've run up against a Nickelback supporter here, and uh, I'm happy about that. Um, okay. But the Nickelback and also singer quantity. was never the drummer for Nirvana. So, yeah, but that doesn't give you necessarily. Of it does. I mean, well, it doesn't make you better. It makes you give you better street cred, more street cred. Well, talking about why they're not made fun of as much. Ah, uh, okay. I'm just talking about the music. It's the same. If you listen to Foo Fighters and Nickelback, it's the same stuff. It's just it's rock and roll. It's straight. It might as well be Cheap Trick, which is great. I love Cheap Trick. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> How'd we get into this? <laughs> I wanted your take on Nickelback, man. And you started talking about music, so there we go. That's how we got there. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, and uh, if you have a take on whether the internet is here to stay. We'd be happy to hear it. Send us a tweet, I guess. I don't know how you're going to get a hold of us. Just find us somehow. Yeah. I'm actually sending a lot more emails these days, so people can just send me an email. Do it. Thanks for being here, everybody. Hey, friends. Paul here. I really appreciate you listening. 
The executive producer of the Process Podcast is Rich Berner. Music came to us courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incompetech.filmmusic.io. I'll talk to you again soon.